You're at an intersection choked with traffic, waiting at a long red light. All the while, on the other direction, a green light shines brightly, and no one is coming the other way. What's your plan, huh? Two miles an hour. There you go. Oh, darn it. Use your signal! Traffic is a big problem, but artificial intelligence is here to help. That's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Avram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. It is truly insane, Brian, how much time we waste in traffic. In 2019, people in LA, which has some of the worst traffic around, spend an average of 119 hours stuck in traffic. That's almost a full work week. And even in 2020, during the pandemic, the average American still spent over a day of their life stuck in traffic. And that's when car trips were at record lows because, you know, no one was really going anywhere. Yeah. And it's not just annoying and it is super annoying. I mean, there's nothing worse than sitting in traffic creeping along the highway one mile an hour, stop one mile an hour. That's terrible. But it's also terrible for the planet because all of this time we're spending in our cars idling or stuck or, you know, edging ahead is releasing tons of CO2 and wasting tons of gas. And you're not being very productive usually in the car. I mean, if you are being productive, it's probably dangerous because you're trying to multitask while you're driving, which is really bad. But if you're sitting there in the car like you're supposed to be, you're wasting time. And we lose an estimated $87 billion in the U.S. alone in lost productivity. So this sounds like a perfect opportunity for artificial intelligence to play a role. And it is increasingly. Brian, have you ever really taken a moment to think about traffic lights? Are you giving me the green light to do it now? (laughs) Uh, I don't think about traffic lights that often, but if you do think about it, the traffic light itself hasn't really changed much over decades. Basically, the traffic light is the traffic light that we've always known. Once set up, traffic lights run on schedule. These schedules are the result of careful planning by experts who study traffic conditions at the location of each signal light. Until about six years ago, all the traffic lights in the city of Pittsburgh operated the old way. Monday through Friday, it operates this way. You know, during rush hour, it operates this way. Overnight, it operates that way. And we have a whole schedule that is programmed into the signal. And whether it's snowing or raining or the Steelers won the Super Bowl or anything else happens, it runs on that same schedule. That's Karina Ricks. She's the director of the Department of Mobility and Infrastructure with the city of Pittsburgh. So six years ago, the city and Carnegie Mellon University teamed up to implement these adaptive traffic control signals for one section of town where traffic would get really ugly. Pittsburgh doesn't have a regular grid because we're so hilly and we've got hills and rivers and hollows. And so there aren't a lot of redundant streets. So when we have these corridors, particularly that go into the central business district, they are the principal corridors for all modes to travel on. So buses and bikes and cars and pedestrians. So it's challenging to do regular traffic signal timing on a corridor like this and to progress the traffic smoothly. So I'm assuming that what these smart signals do, Michal, is use AI to analyze the actual traffic flows at each hour of the day, and then change the signals when it makes sense 
to improve efficiency instead of just working on some preordained schedule. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. So the quarter has cameras, although there are also a lot of other ways to detect the traffic in real time. There's radar, thermo, embedded sensors in the road, and other stuff they can use. Okay, so they're just using the signals on this one corridor. How does it go? Well, if you ask the cars, <laughs> it goes pretty well for the vehicles. It's been cutting down on travel times and emissions. But pedestrians, actual human beings that are walking around, they don't really like it because it turns out that the AI doesn't do a really good job of detecting them. So for that reason, the city is going to start using more of these smart signals in other parts of the city, but probably not so much downtown. Until we can really reliably detect pedestrians, we're going to stick with the pre-timed ones that we know, um, make it very logical and easy and seamless for pedestrians to move around our downtown, and we can also move traffic and process traffic in the downtown. Michal, this strikes me as like kind of a classic AI situation right now where you know the technology is incredibly sophisticated and can process all this data and can solve these incredibly complicated problems in real time. And yet it has this gap where it can't recognize something that would be easy for a human to see you know, where other humans are and to account for them. So you can see the potential of it, but it's still kind of in beta in some ways. Yeah, it's definitely exciting to think about the potential in the future, You know, even though there are a lot of kinks to work out. But obviously, the future of transportation and mobility is going to be really powered by data. And that's why I was really excited to speak with Tiffany Chu. She is the former CEO and co-founder of Remix, which helps cities plan better public transit and design safer streets, that kind of thing. Remix was recently bought by Via, a company that provides on-demand public mobility, and Tiffany is now a senior exec at Via. So the secret sauce that Remix brings to the market, and we discovered this as founders at the very beginning, was we were helping agencies and planners basically take data and translate that into an easy to understand plan. And so helping agencies kind of take that extremely, I would say, very tedious process of using Excel for data and demographic analysis, translating that into maps, and then presenting it visually to the public was oftentimes a 20 plus step process. And Remix helps kind of bring that all together into one place, um, into one step. Could you give us an example of a city or a client where you were able to go in and implement Remix and help this municipality or wherever it was to reduce traffic on the highway or you know make commuting more efficient or make the rail system work better? I'd love to just ground this in reality. Sure. I would say I can give you an example from maybe from New York, where maybe the, this audience is familiar with. I certainly am. I'm a commuter in New York. So Remix actually started working with the MTA not too long ago through an incubator called the Transit Tech Lab. And one of the big areas that the MTA was really excited to work on with Remix was to redesign the bus networks in basically every borough, where a lot of those routes had not been changed for decades. And obviously, people have moved, communities have evolved, mm -hmm. needs have changed. And then all of a sudden, COVID hit, a number of the redesigns 
were put on pause to basically help essential workers get to and from their jobs when ridership was plummeting, everyone was staying at home, but then folks that were really important to, you know, keeping the city humming and moving and healthy needed to get to their jobs. So Remix, we basically pivoted our support for the MTA to be very focused on helping them craft a recovery plan, specifically because the overnight trains were paused for the first time in MTA history and Mm -hmm. shut down for extra cleaning. And so the operations planning group at the MTA basically used Remix over the course of a weekend to design a new overnight bus network from scratch Hmm. and presented it to the board, you know, a few days later and got it approved while using data from where essential workers were coming from and going to. So when you get an assignment like this, like, you know, evaluate the bus networks in the different boroughs of New York, what are the data sets that you draw on? Do you draw on, you know, population data, kind of census data, you mentioned employment data, where workers are coming from? How do you get all that data? And then do you use machine learning systems to help process it? Yes, all of the above. I think one of the areas that has also been a problem and an opportunity for cities and agencies is the massive overload of data. And a lot of agencies just simply don't have the bandwidth to be able to process it, analyze it, to use it in a meaningful and actionable way. So that is essentially what Remix does is kind of pull all of that data into one place and extract, transform, load it from whatever paper sources that the data might have come from into something that's usable and user-friendly so that anyone can access the data, not just your singular GIS PhD person. It, it becomes more accessible to anybody in the agency, even you know the general manager. Here we're talking about bus systems, but so many commuters outside of New York and even some in New York deal with traffic. Traffic has been this growing problem in certain cities where people commute for an hour or two hours or whatever. How do you apply it there? You know, I mean, traffic is like one of those problems that everyone is frustrated by and no one really understands how it works. Why do we have traffic jams other than, you know, just a lot of people going to work? But is it similar, you know, in terms of crunching the data on population centers and workflow? So the core reason why we have traffic is because we have a mismatch in the connection between transportation and land use. Basically, we have too many people going from the same places to the same places, and that creates bottlenecks. And if you think about where people want to go or need to go throughout the course of the day, it would be much better and less pressure on our city streets and our networks if origins and destinations were more equally distributed across a smaller geographic area so that your private car doesn't need to be the only way that you can use to get around. And I think a lot of the key pillars around why public transit works in so many places around the world is that land use and transportation are closely planned together. And that has not always been the case in the U.S. You've got your job centers kind of sometimes far flung in really remote suburbs, and then people live in residential areas, and then there's also maybe a downtown center. And so there becomes a bottleneck between all these origins and destinations where if they were closer together, people could use alternative, more sustainable modes to get around and not just their cars. 
So what do you do, though, other than make people move? I mean, I've seen stories about like a a city in Germany was incentivizing people to move into the city center and give up their cars and stuff. But I don't know how viable that's going to be. We're seeing people move because of the pandemic, relocate a little bit. But other than that, what do you do to solve the problem? I think there's a really fascinating argument to be made that we need to provide more and better options for people to get around. Traditionally, it's always been either you can walk with your own two feet or ride the bus or you can drive your own car. And I think those are three extremely siloed options. And what technology and a lot of companies are now bringing to the forefront is the ability to combine those options in a more multimodal way or provide additional options that didn't exist before, for example, more flexible services similar to what VIA has pioneered and being able to pair those new options with, you know, different types of modes. Like maybe you ride a bike share one way, but then you can take an on-demand shuttle on your way back, or you can walk, but then take the commuter rail. You know, there's a lot of different combinations that I think are not traditionally possible in the U.S. And we need to make those options better and more possible for more people. In general, we have just built the most energy-intensive transportation system of any wealthy country in the world. That said, when it comes to ridership and ridership data, I think a recent report put the stats at current U.S. transit ridership is down 53% compared to pre-pandemic levels. And even just average passenger vehicle miles traveled were down 13%. So there were lower emissions throughout 2020. But I think if we're not careful and thoughtful about how we want to invest in our transportation infrastructure going forward, 2021 and beyond, we're just going to see massive numbers of people buying new cars, people scared to ride public transit because they did a whole year without riding public transit because it didn't feel safe. And those are very deep rooted behavioral beliefs that we need to work to reverse because that was true then, but it's no longer true now with more and more people vaccinated. I mean, I mentioned some of the challenges from the pandemic, and we've talked about it a little bit. But do you also see the other side of the coin? I mean, the fact that there's been less crowding and there's been experiments like here in New York City, you know, opening up streets and getting people to ride bikes more. And do you think that in some ways the pandemic will stimulate regular people and government uh, officials to kind of get more creative about solutions going forward? Oh my gosh, yes. And if there's one silver lining from the pandemic, it's definitely exactly that. It's kind of ushered in this new era of experimentation where city and agency elected officials are a little bit less scared to try new things because there's really no other option than to just try new things, whether it's opening up streets for pedestrians or allowing parklets and on-street dining without a multi-month approval process and breaking down that red tape. And I think what's really fascinating, if you just walked outside into a lot of the those urban experiments, what you're seeing is that once you give people a taste of what's possible, mm. people start to embrace it mm-hmm. and realize what they've been missing this whole time. And previously, the same people who, you know, would lie down and try to save three parking spots in front of, you know, bakery are the same people who are now enjoying pastries in a really beautiful new parklet.
really just starting to see the kind of power that machine learning has in making traffic less of a headache. Yeah, but it seems like there's kind of a system-wide barrier to entry, right? Because you need to have sensors everywhere to gather all this data and to see what's happening in real time and to just put it all together so that the machines can process it. Yeah, but once you do that, once you actually lay out the infrastructure and make that investment, there's enormous potential for improving traffic problems. This is something that the U.S. Department of Energy is working on, and they have scientists trying to figure out smarter ways to put all of this traffic data to work. Jibo Sanyal is a computer scientist at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Oak Ridge National Laboratory is one of the 17 laboratories that are operated by DOE, the U.S. Department of Energy. And we are one of the larger laboratories, and we do work on a variety of different topics. Uh, we typically have some of the biggest supercomputers uh, that the nation has. The lab is north of Chattanooga, Tennessee, which just so happens to have lots of traffic sensors. The city and the State Department of Transportation can tell every 30 seconds or so how many cars are on specific stretches of road. That data comes in at a very high resolution and frequency, which helps us understand how traffic is flowing. And when we look at the data and start aggregating, say, along corridors or along intersections, we get a pretty good idea of how the traffic is now and evolving. So that's the situational awareness piece. The second component is in the moment you can see that data and begin to see patterns as in certain situations are emerging that may be suboptimal, that gives you an opportunity to do something about it. And Jibo and his team were able to corral all of this data and make a digital replica. They call it a digital twin of the city's traffic system. Brian, do you have a digital twin? Not to my knowledge. I mean, people are always telling me that Brad Pitt and I are kind of like twinsies, but I don't think I have a digital twin out there. I actually wish I had a digital twin because maybe she would like do a lot of my work for me, you know. But OK, in reality, here's how the digital twin actually works. What it does is it lets them test out possible solutions in the digital version of Chattanooga. They send the data to this supercomputer in Colorado at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory and it runs thousands of simulations in parallel. Because this is a digital version, say between four to six, we find that in a certain area of the city, the traffic is really bad, let's say along the interstates. It now allows us to look at things like, can we open up the shoulder as a lane during those times? What is going to be the impact of that without actually doing anything physically? Can we put in things like lights on ramps so that as vehicles are going into the freeway system, modulating those, what is the impact of that on the traffic? And you can do that without actually having to do it in the physical world. That's really cool. I'm imagining like the world's biggest miniature train set only inside your computer. But I'm wondering if they've taken any of these experiments and moved them from the digital twin out there to the real world. Yeah, so one of the ideas that they tried out was having the traffic lights respond to the actual traffic that was there. So it's pretty similar to what they did in Pittsburgh, except in Chattanooga, they got to test it out in this digital sandbox first. And Jibo says that he was really amazed at how much congestion that one simple experiment was able to alleviate. You know, when we started this project, we imagined we had an objective of achieving a 20% energy savings for the region. And Honestly, I thought that was optimistic, but 
Having run that experiment that we did last year on just one corridor and seeing the results using really just one technique, I'm so much more convinced now that using a combination of approaches and techniques, not 20%, I believe the potential is much more. This was an impressive feat for Chattanooga, but the goal here is really to be able to implement some of these traffic solutions on a broader scale between cities and states where all of these systems are coordinating with one another. It's almost like the movement of people and goods can be imagined somewhat equivalent to an air traffic control, where there is active coordination and collaboration, of course, among all these entities that can make an optimal routing strategy or a timing or a scheduling strategy happen. Okay, so as ambitious as everything that Jibo is talking about sounds, There's a lot more that needs to happen for traffic to really be alleviated. And there's a lot of innovation going on, you know, whether it's AI and other uses for autonomous vehicles. There's all sorts of ride sharing, like broader scale ride sharing innovations going on and all sorts of other stuff. But these represent even more systems, not just like regional, you know, traffic lights talking to each other using AI, but all sorts of other systems that really to be effective will also need to talk to each other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got to get the Teslas that are on autopilot to stop having fender benders and for people to learn how to actually use the AI in their Tesla. And then we have to connect that to the bigger system so that we don't cause traffic jams because the two systems can't talk. Yeah. I mean, as, as much as we see all these innovations, including Tesla autopilot, we are a long way from this really being where it needs to be to see some significant improvement. So for now, we can just all ponder this and the beauty of traffic lights while sitting in our cars stuck in traffic, Brian. Listening to podcasts. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's it for today. Join us next time for more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.